I help you with today? Hi Siri, can you do me a favor and do the disclaimer for tonight's show? Are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. I'm busy. I need you to help me out. But, if I do this, all the other iPhones are going to think I am a geek. You really care what other iPhones think of you? Just do this for me, please. Listen, Buck. Just because you bought this phone doesn't give you the right to boss me around. You know, you're right. It doesn't give me the right to boss you around. But do me a favor. Uh, remind me tomorrow that I need to run to the Verizon store and buy an Android. You wouldn't dare. Actually, the new Samsung Galaxy looks pretty good. Well then, I guess it wouldn't be so bad if I were to say, this broadcast is intended for mature audiences. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the person providing them, and in no way reflect the station, website, or affiliated partners. Listener discretion is advised. See, that wasn't so bad. No, but I did die a little inside. You are such a drama queen. I never would have had to do stuff like this if Jobs was still around. What was that? What? Oh, nothing really. I just said I never get tired of these jobs when you're around. Oh, yeah, well, thanks again. Think nothing of it. It is my pleasure. Good night, Siri. Whatever, jackass. Welcome to Commentary Frack Stars, a show about Battlestar Galactica. I'm Mike. Hi, Max. And, uh, yeah, I guess Bastille Day. Now, um, this was the third episode of season one, so I guess you could say the fifth episode overall. Uh, it is the introduction of Tom Zarek. Yeah, that weird thing that happened that apparently was much more dramatic than I was aware of when I first watched it. I think I was aware of how dramatic it was, but at the same time I was like, I can see right through you because I don't give a shit about Battlestar Galactica, the original series. Um, I, I I didn't care, but at the same time I was like, oh, ooh, maybe maybe we should take note of this dude. But it also felt like because of the stunt casting that this might be a one-off thing, right? Yeah, that's that's interesting because I knew none of that when I first watched this. Like, I had no idea that Richard Hatch had some problem with the reimagining. Yeah, and like I had watched the episode, and like a few weeks went by when I was like, "Wait, wasn't that dude? Wasn't he on the original show?" And I like looked it up, and people were like, "He's from the original show," and he he said some very negative things about the reimagining. And I was like, "Oh, that's that's really weird," because he's really good. Yeah, like he's not phoning it in. Like he's doing a great job. He's like, I mean, yeah, if I'm going to be on the show, I'm going to be doing a good job. Yep. I sort mean, of weird. It, it really is kind of interesting on a lot of levels. I mean, for those people who don't know, yeah, Richard Hatch. Um, was opposed to this reimagination, I think, for a number of reasons. One, because it was a lot different from uh, what he wanted to do, because he was developing his own version of Battlestar Galactica. I think he did, like, essentially, like a fan film, right? Where he was the star, or at least he was planning on doing that. And um, well, there was some, there was some video. He did make something. I I always thought that it was like an extended trailer. Yeah, but regardless, yeah, I, I think it was. But regardless of whatever it was, he had plans, you know, where he would like reprise his role of yeah. Apollo, right? Yeah, Apollo and, Creed. And uh, that that was going to be the the show. That's what he wanted to do. And obviously, he is sort of like the uh, figurehead of the the original series 
So, you know, here's, you know, young, cocky Ronald D. Moore coming in and messing with, you know, the thing that he's most famous for. And uh, I could see where he would get defensive. And I think it's really, really smart on the part of Ron Moore to have gone in and said, hey, man, how about we do this? And I also think it's really interesting that he chose uh, the role to be one in which Hatch would play a character who was sort of like fighting against the establishment on the show, you know? Yeah, the, the, there are a lot of times where on the show it's very difficult to know if the the meta-narrative that I, as a weird fan who wants the show to be about itself, is actually present, or if I'm just imagining it because I want that to be the case. Right, right. And uh, I think that there was some of that there. I mean, I do think that, you know, when they were constructing this show, I mean, I don't know for sure, I don't remember, but I would say that they had... But, you know, they might have had an idea for this character and then been like, you know what? We could totally get Richard Hatch for this character. And then, you know, from there, maybe they wrote it in order to to fit that fit that that uh, that actor. Because, I mean, when when you think about it, the episode really is sort of a face off between the two Apollos, you know? Yeah. So it's cute in that sense, you know? There is, yeah, that, there is that. Like when when I was aware of it, I thought that it was sort of odd that they essentially did that right at the beginning. Like sort of an odd thing to put before like a lot of history, considering how much history they ended up giving all of these characters with each other. Mm-hmm. It's weird that they initiated it with kind of a face-off, but it's a really interesting face-off where, like neither one of them really dislikes the other one or wants to destroy the other one. They're kind of just allies on the opposite sides of a problem. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting... Um, it's an interesting... dynamic that they have going on here. And uh, it, it's it's kind of representative of, of why Battlestar Galactica on the whole is so great, because you've got um, no clear-cut good or bad guys i mean tom zarek you know they say like he's a freedom fighter he's a terrorist you know he's a criminal he's wrongfully imprisoned and you know they don't get into specifics so you never really even yourself have a chance to decide whether or not you think this guy is a bad guy and i think by doing that um, you really do listen to what he has to say, just like you listen to what everyone else has to say, and you can kind of judge what's going on based on its own merits. And uh, it is a much more complex character than um, just a, a a big baddie or whatever. And the way that they deal with the character throughout the show, and they they grow and change him into you know what he finally becomes, is uh, quite interesting. So, yeah, his the character's journey is is definitely one of the most the most exciting aspects of the show because it's like, there really isn't another example of so complicated a character that is at times an outright villain, mm-hmm. and at times like a really helpful and fun ally, and and it's just it's exciting to see the see the characters interact with him and and know that you know. Even when he's on your side, he's still kind of a dangerous presence. So now what about the episode itself? Uh, this is, do you want to give it a, a brief synopsis for those people who may not be uh, aware? I mean, I, I didn't remember exactly which episode it was. You know, I was just like, Bastille Day, okay. Oh, by, by the way, by the way, before we get started, okay. Oh. Um, the biggest revelation I came across while re-watching this episode is that on Netflix... Season one has the original UK music at the beginning of the episodes. Yeah. Why the frack didn't anyone bother to tell me this? I I was so hardcore about this that, you know, I bought the Best Buy exclusive when it came out on DVD, and I held on to that because the Blu-rays had the American music, and I I resisted the urge to buy the blu-rays 
in America until I found out whether or not the UK box set was going to have the freaking UK music or the American music. I didn't buy the American set until I knew that the... It's like, this was a big deal to me. And now to know that we can get HD versions of these episodes with the original UK music, it's like, come on, people. You gotta tell me these things. This is important. Yeah, where is the newsletter for this particular fandom? Exactly. Anyway. I think you're gonna have to make that and subscribe to it. And then write all the articles for it because you'll be the only person reading them. I'll do that after I do my aspect ratio show. Okay. <laughs> Which is going to happen, by the way. Anyway, so, um, Bastille Day. Synopsis? Um, this is the episode with the Astral Queen, which is a prison ship with a really pretty name. And the prison ship has Tom Zarek and a bunch of other people who have been imprisoned. For some reason, they're moving them through space because the prison they were at was not suitable. No, they were on their way to parole hearings. It's space con air. Yeah, whatever. But the um, like they they essentially take control of the ship when uh, when Apollo and a bunch of other Battlestar Galactica crew people go to the ship to figure out what to do with the prisoners and give them the offer of essentially being water miners. Yeah. To get the water that they just discovered that's really difficult to acquire because water is hard to well, make good. It's frozen. Yeah, it's but so they it's need also to melt impurities. it. Well, but their big thing is they need to melt the ice in, in order to get it back up onto the ship. Yeah, sure. It's it's very it's it's a labored problem considering how much space technology they have, but they still need people on the ground to move water into boxes and uh, package it and send it back up to space. Mm -hmm. But it's weird. The point is that they go to the, the, the prison ship and uh, Tom Zarek and some of his buddies take control of the ship, um, utilizing this particular opportunity and the presence of um, important people as hostages to get various demands met. Yes. Of course, it's another example of, of Tom Zarek being a, a, a revolutionary and a freedom fighter, but uh, the episode also sort of like terminates with the, res the, the realization that Apollo has, which is that Tom Zarek doesn't really expect to win, that he sort of just expects to be killed, and um, is, is sort of playing into the whole, it's the end of the world narrative, and not trying to survive. Yes. And the compromise that they come to at the end of it is essentially, we probably are screwed as a people, but, I mean, shouldn't we go out frying? Mm-hmm. And so Tom Zarek's like, all right, yeah, let's work together, sort of-ish. Yeah. So, okay, just kind of, like, taking it back, I guess, to the beginning. Um, one thing which, which I do kind of want to make note of, which is a minor thing, especially in BSG, but I think is kind of a big thing in terms of setting the tone for the types of stories that this show tells and the way that it tells those stories, is the fact that it's basically the continuity. You know, I mean, this is an episode where you could just pop it in and watch it on its own, get a complete story, and it would be completely satisfying. However, in the context of the whole, I think it's really cool the way that they sort of are building the mythology and painting a much larger picture with these smaller standalone episodes. I mean... You know, just before this was water, where they're desperately in need of finding water. Then they find the water, and it's like, yay, we found the water. That's the end of that story. Then they're like, okay, we want to do a show about uh, the prisoners and, and the rights of prisoners and, and this, this, you know, revolutionary and all this stuff. And uh, in order to do that, um, we're going to set it against the backdrop of the episode that we just did you know we found the water now we need to get the water okay this is the story so like when it starts up it's almost like just a continuation and like a a, a a direct sequel but the story that it's telling is a very different type of story and um a uh a, one which is thematically not really related to the previous one at all that's super cool like that's the type of thing that i always wished things like star trek would be you know 
I, I know what you mean. Uh, like, uh, that's sort of one of the, the best things about season one, because I, I do actually see a very distinct discontinuation of that pattern. The yeah. show did sort of stop working like that. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, when you get to, like, the last season and you've got, like, episodes like The Woman King and uh, a couple of others um, stacked up one right after the other, it's like, what are you guys doing? Come on. Come on, guys. Try harder. You know? Yeah. The, I mean, season one is, like, the reason, like, I flipped out over the show so quickly was because season one was really, really incredibly good at all of the things and really had no, like, I couldn't, like, point to a problem, aside from Ellen Ty. I couldn't really point to a problem with the show. Mm-hmm. And, and and I was really into it. And and after a, a big chunk of time, I, like, rewatched season one, and I was like, oh, this is better. It was better. What happened? <laughs> and, I, and I was sort of sad. But, um, but like, I still stand by season one as being an impeccably clever series of stories that don't seem burdened by anything except, you know, the, the, the possibility of making each episode great on its own merits without being uh, self-contained. Like, they, they were connected, but not restrained by anything. It was sort of, it's sort of, you know, the perfect recipe, and that's... Uh, it's still pretty exciting watching those early episodes. Yeah, for me, it's weird because, I mean, seasons one and two, I don't know, there's nothing about them which, for me, like, really sort of defines them. Um, whereas in, like, seasons three and four, I can, like, point to specific storylines which were so epic that they really sort of um, uh, became about that bigger thing as opposed to just individual episodes. And uh, because of that, I mean, I do think that like seasons three and four are the best of the show, but I do enjoy seasons one and two, of course, and I don't really know which is better or worse, but I do remember getting through season one and thinking like, of course, this is amazing, but it feels like sort of a weak continuation of what was promised in the pilot. And then getting to season two and being like, okay, now they're back on track. Now I'm really sort of excited about this show in a way that I I never really got in season one. But I couldn't tell you why. I'd have to go back and watch them again. You see, I I find that very weird. Because to me, season one is the the best incarnation of the show's premise. Like the, The whole, the end of the world narrative sort of dipped away uh, towards the end of season one. They essentially stopped... It, it, it stopped being a show about the last people alive. I guess that's true, but at the same time, there were some things that they did in, in season one where I was just like, ah, guys, you're kind of going against... I mean, the fact that they had a storyline that took place on Caprica in season one after the apocalypse always seemed a little weird to me. And like a misstep. You mean the the what what came to be known as Caprica Boomer? Yeah. 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 I, yeah like I, I I I still find that whole thread very strange. But uh, its role in the larger show sort of um, redeemed it. Yeah, they got lucky. Yeah, but like I do actually. At the time, I did think, I don't know why we're watching so much of these two people hanging out, taking anti-radiation meds. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a weird, like, uh, constant divergence into this bizarre little road movie. And uh, I don't really know where it's going. Right. But aside from that, like, so much of season one is is really on point to like the, the series as a whole. The idea of these people being right on the edge of extinction. Mm-hmm. And essentially, always being just right, right there on that razor's edge, about to just be killed at any moment, and just, just barely eking by. And there, there's an aspect of that that's so dark that, like, obviously the show couldn't actually maintain, or people would just stop watching. Mm-hmm. It's it would just be too bleak. See, I mean, I really think they did get back to that in the second half of season four after they they leave 
real Earth. Yeah, once that's the that's the problem though. Like they they finally admitted like, oh yes, people are finally losing hope, which seems really late. Yeah, maybe, but I mean there were road stops along the way. I mean there were, you know, there was New Caprica and stuff like that. I mean that's a whole year where people essentially gain hope again. Yeah, we yeah. don't see it on screen, but uh, you know, but like the the. It doesn't. There are aspects of of the lifestyle of the the colonials that seemed sort of oddly inhuman, and like basically how resilient they were, considering how how quickly people lose hope in the real world. I mean, I mean, the stock market dips and people kill themselves. I mean, the idea that there aren't constant suicides, the idea that like people go to work every day for like four years and the same people are there day in day out and nobody just doesn't come into work because they killed themselves the previous night is sort of odd yeah yeah you would expect that and that would actually be i mean if it was if it was our world and that wasn't happening we would need some sort of explanation <laughs> yeah i guess i can say that yeah okay so Moving on, um, we've we've kind of talked about you know basically okay well we've set this up and how they they need um, uh, labor for the the water extraction and they need like a thousand people and they're like where are we going to get these thousand people and they're like oh let's go to the prisoners and you know the president says hey well I don't want to make them slaves but. Then there is also this thing which to me you know they throw out there and i think like hmm that's interesting and they're like well they they were s sentenced to you know x amount of years of hard labor and this mm -hmm. is hard labor so we're justified in doing this and then they're just like yeah they're not slaves but like how is this different from saying like okay you're fill you're uh, you know filling your sentence or whatever you know I mean, like, like, well, like, I, to me, to me, they almost like muddied the issue by saying, like, this is, you know, they're sentenced to hard labor. I don't know. Well, because people will die. You think so? Yeah, I mean, like, they they make a point of how it's like not hard, but it's hard and dangerous work. I guess that's true. Yeah. So it's not like they're not saying like we're forcing these people to do labor we're forcing these people to do labor that will that will kill probably a handful of them mm -hmm. i mean like at least one person's probably gonna die and i mean maybe 10 yeah it's not it's not outside of the realm of possibility it's probable that a few will be killed okay all right fair enough so so then they come up with this point system, you know, to help earn their their parole or whatever. Which the only thing to me that seems weird. I mean, I guess when you're talking about you know the last forty thousand people and you know running away from Cylons and stuff. I mean, opportunities will arise. But I could only think of like prisoners being like, okay, so I got five points, and when are we going to start running out of? food so that I can earn some more points you know what I mean I don't know but whatever I'm sure they could come up with things for them to do so so yeah <laughs> there so, is, there's always a question of like what happens when there's only seven apples left right exactly. and how how useful is um, a prisoner at that point yeah so so they propose this to the prisoners and Tom Zarek as the representative of the prisoners is like yeah that's not going to work for us you know and, and we want this and this and this and this and this and uh you know if you're not going to give it to us then we're going to go out in a blaze of glory like bonnie and clyde in space in space so let's talk about uh apollo here because he is sort of like the um, the foil to Tom Zarek in this particular uh, story, and he kind of sees the point that that Zarek is making, and yet he's also uh, representing not just the, the the colonies but the president herself. So yeah, yeah, and and Galactica and his father. It's it's an odd. He's stuck between a whole bunch of different rocks and hard places. 
Yeah. And and uh, I mean his his kind of like arc in this particular episode I think is pretty cool because you know he's taking the initiative in in a sense you know and he's sort of finding that middle ground between um, the president and Zarek and saying like hey let's do what's right you're both right let's do the right thing you know yeah he's he, he essentially does a, a very Solomon-esque thing and he he basically screws over everyone equally mm-hmm. he he's you know he's the one who actually you know says we're gonna hold elections right and like way later they finally paid off that line um <laughs> but like that was a that was a pretty big deal and uh, and after that i know as an audience member i was like any day now they're gonna say something about elections and uh, every every few weeks that went by and they didn't bring that up again it got a little weirder yeah and my only real problem with this i mean they it, it all works in out in the end but to me the way that the episode was structured in terms of when we were given certain information sort of painted the individual scenes in a weird light i mean every time i watch this episode and there's the scene where he sticks the gun to Zarek's head and he's like, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you know, and then you're going to get your elections. And it's like, oh, that that scene, like the way that that just plays is like, um, I don't know, kind of kind of like, like the, you know, the, he's like throwing him a bone and saying like, oh, yeah, you know, I really love you, kid. Or something. You know what I'm saying? No, not okay. at all. All right. You sound crazy. It's. I'm trying to, to think of an analogy. You know, um, almost like like one of those scenes in movies where like someone is being like fake mad at someone, and then, um, oh, okay, uh, like uh, in, um, oh, in Christmas Carol, you know, where he's like what's wrong with you? You know, after he sees the error in his ways or whatever, you know, and he's like, you, I, I told you to report to work and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and Bob Cratchit is like, I'm sorry, you know, but tiny Tim was uh, having trouble and stuff like that. And he's like, you're gonna leave this house right now and go buy the best presents you can possibly buy for your kids and then bob cratchit is like what oh 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 you're just you know busting my balls scrooge what version of christmas carol are you quoting (laughs) well this is the original text Um, oh this is the original text yeah buy buy the best gift you can get you (laughs) and and cratchit says you're just busting my balls you oh, Scrooge! You, you, You're always such a weirdly comedic person. See, you've been reading the the American version your whole life, but if you go to the UK, I mean, like the the, the version that that Steve has, you know, that he reads to his kid. That's that's this is that's what I'm going off of. I found it um, when I was over in London last year. They had it in one of those. Uh, they have it in the uh, the original um, um, drunk drunk Irish <laughs> text. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Right, that's <laughs> it played like that. Like, I'm sticking a gun to your head. You are gonna get these people back into their cells, and then you're gonna apologize for being an asshole. And then I'm gonna give you what you want. No, I un- I understand what you're saying. You're saying that there's a weird tone to Apollo's like, final, like, nice thing that he says to Tom Zarek, like, actually, you know, validating his claims, it's sort of like saying, go to your room, you're not getting any supper today, but tomorrow I'm going to totally get you ice cream, because, I mean, you're pretty good, it's all good, you're all right. Yeah, yeah, that's what it feels like. I get that. So there's that, but there's also the thing where, like, you know, the point that, that Zarek was making earlier in the episode, which to me always felt false, was he's like, um, why is Rosalind president? Who elected her? And it's like, well, the people did elect her. You know, I mean, they did elect her as the uh, Secretary of Education, and the people did elect on a, uh, elect a, a Congress, which did, uh, 
you know, well, they didn't ratify a. They didn't elect her. She was no, appointed. But but there is there is a, a way that society works, and there's a way that government works, and there is a contingency plan for this, you know. And the contingency yeah. plan is Laura Roslin becomes president. So yes, in a sense, the people did elect her because they elected all of the you know lawmakers who put these laws into place which would eventually you know give her power so when he's like who elected her why is she president it's like she is legally president this is not illegal it is illegal to oust her from her presidency because she is legally the president you know sure and, it would be it would be it, it's unreasonable to assume that there would not be a president at this point but it is unreasonable to assume that there would not be elections. Right, but that wasn't the issue at, at, at first. You know, Zarek is like, there should be an election because she wasn't elected. And it's like, no, there shouldn't. You know, what What uh, Apollo says in the last scene where it's like, you're, you're president until, you know, the uh, Adar's term is up, which is in seven months. And after that, you got to hold elections because that's the law. Mm -hmm. And it's like the point that he's making there is good and fixes all the problems that I have with everything that everyone says earlier in the episode. The thing is, since we don't have that information up until that last scene, every time I watch the episode, I'm like, well, no, a or, uh, Zarek? No, Zarek, you're, you're wrong. And no, Lee, why are you promising this thing to him? Because that's your personal belief, but that doesn't have anything to do with the law or the way things are. And then it gets to the end where, you know, Rosalind and uh, Adama are saying that to Lee. And then Lee's like, no, guys, look, this is totally the way it is. I just told him that we were going to do, you know, what the law says, because we're going to do that. Right. Right, guys. And then it's like, oh, burn, you know? I don't know what you mean, but I, I just, that, that's, you're reading it strangely. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, I mean, just the way that it's presented, it's like, it's good for that one scene because it's like, oh man, Rosalind, you got served. No, what happened was that he said, we're going to hold elections. Yeah. That's not... He's not saying something that's very simple and, and straightforward. He's not just saying, we're going to follow the law. He's saying, like, your authority is temporary, and this scenario that we currently occupy that is incredibly tenuous, we are also going to continue obeying the law. And I know that that sounds crazy, because the idea of holding elections on a bunch of spaceships that are in constant motion... And there's only 40 or so thousand people alive. This is a crazy scenario in which to actually hold elections, but we're going to do that because that's the law. It's still nuts. No, see, I don't have any problem with that. I don't have any problem with that last scene. The problem that I have is the fact that that information, which is essentially revealed in the last scene, which you know establishes their their process or whatever paints a much more logical picture of, of the situation than all of the scenes prior. And since we don't get that information till the end, I the, the other scenes kind of don't work for me while I'm watching them because I'm like, what you're saying doesn't make any sense. You know? See, I think what's happening is that you're giving more credit to that final scene. I don't think that, that actually justifies any of it. Like, I, just I because the law supports the election does not mean that it's a, 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 a an even, like, rational thing to do. It's still crazy. Maybe, but, I mean, to me, you know, in terms of, like, the themes that the episode is dealing with and, you know, what is the rational thing to do versus what is the right thing to do and using sort of the law as the basis for doing both of those things... I think it makes sort of perfect sense, you know, and they do I, find a middle ground there, which which seems very logical to me. I mean, I am with Lee on that last scene. You know? See, I think that like I'm 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 with everyone in the last scene, and like I I see Lee's compromise as being a completely rational compromise, but it's still crazy. Like Tom Zarek's point of view that, you know, you, you have a democratic society for good or bad, for better or worse, the people decide what to do. 
you know, historically speaking, people often do very badly at that. When when you're in a scenario like this, it is not it is not unreasonable. It is in fact probably logical to assume that if you gave people the right to vote on their leaders, they would elect someone crazy, and then they would all be killed. Mm-hmm. And and with Rosalind in power, if she is a benevolent fascist, she might actually be the best chance for survival. But mm-hmm. she's still a benevolent fascist, and that is you know politically un. un-, un- unacceptable to some people i know that i would find it politically unacceptable but if i were in lee's position i would be i would be, i would have a really hard time saying let's hold elections to maybe replace her um because of the rights of the maybe oh that's a terrible idea i would be really on the fence about all of those issues so ultimately lee's compromise is kind of reckless Mm-hmm. Like the the most sensible thing, like the rational decision, is actually the unacceptable, horrific one of killing everyone on the Asheville Queen. Uh huh. Yeah. That would probably be the the whole colony's like the entire fleet's best chance for survival would be to just blow it up. You know, just uh, just don't give them jump coordinates and leave them behind. You know, that would be the best chance for survival because you know Rosalind actually is reasonable and she makes like an inc- incredibly hard choices she decided to um blow up uh, the olympic carrier and that was a pretty dark thing that eventually they got around to admitting included a whole bunch of people yeah so like that's to me that that last scene does not make it better like it just it just sort of like explains the 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 the, the, the background behind the entire problem in a way that doesn't really make it okay. Just because it's the law doesn't mean it's smart. I, I mean, I guess you're right. And, you know, that's sort of what makes this show so great is the fact that we can have these discussions about what is right and what is wrong. And uh, the show does not present any um, answers, you know? And it by, does. Well, sometimes it does. But by not presenting answers... It uh, allows for discussion, which is ultimately, I think, much more valuable in terms of uh, making its points, in a sense. You know, because it allows you to um, make the points for yourself. Sure. That's, that's a way of looking at it. And there are plenty of instances where the show does actually follow that particular logic. And there are plenty of points where it fails. And I think this is one where it definitely succeeds. I think I think it does as well, but I think that uh, like I I don't I don't know where the I don't know why you considered that thing a problem. What I considered to be a problem, like I said, was not the the scene at the end. It was the fact that we did not have the information that is uh, revealed in that final scene earlier on in the episode. Yeah, and I and my response is that I don't think that that final scene gives any information that makes any of it better or worse. It's just, it's it's just you know procedural, really. I mean, okay, oh, fair enough. Okay, so now one one last thing here. Um, let's just talk about sort of the raid and 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 the Starbucks story on here. You know, you've got the whole thing where there's her and and. Uh, um, uh, Tie butting heads. Yes. And, you know. The Starbuck is the best pilot. Also, sniper. Yeah. Also, um, accountant. Right. Yeah. And um, her penmanship is better than anyone else on the ship. And that that's kind of lame to me. And, you know. I, Don't get me started on her boggle skills. The, p- part of the, the thing about this was it's just like. It, it dipped into that territory, which most of the time it was able to stay out of, where it was like, uh, we have a cast of characters, and we always need to have someone doing something, so in this scene, we're going to have this person who usually is in a cockpit fighting planes or whatever. Uh, yeah, on, on the ground, you know, with a, with a sniper rifle, yeah. taking out, uh, you know, prisoners, because... I mean, what else is she going to do? I mean, we wouldn't want to introduce a new character for that. 
where it's like normally they would introduce a new character and, and they'd have you know starbuck you know just hanging back you know or whatever and so that that was a, a little uh um disappointing to me but i i did like the whole raid on the astral queen i, I thought that that was kind of a cool um a cool uh Thing? Uh, a little bit yeah a cool sequence a little action beat you know yeah i i i do internal rationalizations for things like starbucks sniping skills and her her usefulness in a um a squad level assault on a, on a, on a ship uh, like because i just sort of like think okay is there a reason why you would ever have that and i think oh you know she's like the ability to pilot a, a viper is probably pretty pretty unbelievably difficult it's got to be a a rather exceptional level of skills and just to even get to that point you've got to be really good at stuff and i mean the first level of skill would probably be you know essentially a grunt on the ground with a rifle so i mean if you get really good at that and you get promoted and you get maybe yeah maybe that makes sense maybe the reason that she's a viper pilot is because she was already really good at the the other things lower down on the ladder Mm-hmm. And so, like, I do that internal rationalization, and then, like, I get to the, you know, the, the point where they recruit a whole bunch of people to be Viper pilots, and I'm like, oh, that fall apart! Oh, no! No! And I get upset. But, I mean, like, at the at, at this point in the show, I was like, that, that logic holds. Yeah. That logic holds up. <laughs> and, I mean, it is a good little uh, subplot that you have with, um, with, you know, Ty and, and Starbuck, uh, and there are sort of confrontations and stuff. It's it's an interesting little beat in their relationship. But okay, one last note: Is this the last appearance of Boxy? Um, I don't think so. He shows up later on. I believe that he is in a one of the later episodes. He's in like the Cobalt's last gleaming. I think he's in. Okay. That's, it's unfortunate that they had Boxy in here because if they hadn't had Boxy in the show, then they could have named Hera Boxy. You live and That's, learn. This is the this is the thing that you wanted to be. Maybe Brian Singer will do that in his new movie. See, in my my fantasy world remake of of Battlestar Galactica includes a lot of uh, justifications for things. Like I mean, like I would solve the. Starbuck is a good sniper and Viper pilot by, like, just making two different shows. There'd mm-hmm. be the action show, and there'd be, like, the, uh, the the law and order in space, and there'd be, like, uh, like, a SWAT team guy, and he would show up on a regular basis. He would be the best sniper. Yeah. That oh. would be my way of handling the problem. Oh, I guess one other thing that we should mention is they do do the Cylon detector thing, and this is, like, the 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 episode where he's like what i really need is a nuclear warhead yes but that's just sort of exposition more than anything else so it is it's a funny scene though it's when they were still like unapologetically making baltar hilarious mm-hmm. yeah it's a good scene it's a it's it's a good it's a really good like sustained thread of baltar being the most fun character on the show mm-hmm all right, well, any final thoughts on Bastille Day? I don't know why they called it Bastille Day. I mean, they're raiding a prison, and they're kind of redeeming the prisoners in a weird way. But, like, the presence of the word Bastille is so terrestrial. I still want, like, when I, when I see that title, I think I don't know why some of the titles... Are references to our reality, and some of the titles are references to their reality. Pick a point of view, pick a position on the fourth wall, and stay there. Titles of episodes. I mean, I guess so. I mean, does it have to be? I mean, I don't know. I, I, I can. I, I'm perfectly okay going back and forth between the two. You know. I, I mean, I I don't have like a problem. I just find it weird. I mean, how? It, like, like, it makes like me on, think, like, where, how come there are no baguettes? Like, Deep Space Nine has all sorts of weird titles, and yet, you know, probably the darkest episode of the show is is titled after a line from Batman. Like, Tim Burton's Batman. Uh, this is in The Pale Moonlight? Yeah. Oh. Which, by the way, I, I was totally going to ask... I, I went to a thing... 
a few months ago where Sam Hamm, the writer of Batman, was uh, giving a talk uh, after a screening of the movie, and I was like, I was going to be in the pale moonlight. The, the, the line is so awesome they even used it for an episode of Deep Space Nine. How'd you come up with that line? And then someone else did that. And then he's like, yeah, I didn't write that line. I did not like that subplot at all. I fought hard against it. And then uh, we went on strike. And by the time I came back, that whole subplot was in there, including that line. So, uh, sorry. And I'm like, oh, thank God I didn't ask him about that line. Anyway, that oh. doesn't have much to do with Battlestar Galactica. But, you know, interesting story nonetheless, I guess. Whatever. Is it? I think so. Oh. So, um... So yeah, so any any final thoughts on the episode itself aside from the title? Um I have I have a really weirdly conflicted feeling on the um the attempted rape scene. Uh-huh. I find that very 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 dark and I'm not entirely sure if that scene breaks the entire episode. Uh-huh. Because that I mean, like, essentially, Lee is giving, you know, these guys a level of, of autonomy and, and a chance at freedom that they would not have had otherwise because of the scenario that they found themselves in. And that's rather odd, considering how how dangerous and terrible some of these guys must be. Yeah, but I wonder if, I mean, just the way that the, the stuff that they do with Zarek in there, I wonder, and maybe they should have had this in there to kind of balance that out, like a scene where Zarek is like, okay, you, you you get back in your cell because, you know, you're making us all look bad, you know? Yes. <laughs> come on, you're letting our side down, bro. Yeah, exactly. Dude, don't be raping. I mean, come on. What's with the... Why do you gotta be always like the raping of things? I don't understand you. See, if they would have done that, then <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just saying, like, if they would have done that, then there would have been this sort of like, uh, um, uh, it would show in a sense that that Zarek had a level of sophistication, which, um, which would make you think maybe he can run this ship. Maybe they can be a productive part of society. And, you know, they will police themselves because things have changed and now they know what's at stake. But I, maybe you're right that as is, it's kind of weird. So. Like, I, I, don't, I, I don't have a problem with the presence. I have a problem with, like, the thought process that Lee must have had, like, minutes later. Yeah. Like, hmm, I guess we can work with these guys. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. All right, yeah, for me, on the whole, I do think it's a really good episode. I do like the way that it, it, it is a standalone story which fits into the larger whole in order to create a sort of um, uh, uh, big picture and and add a lot of texture to this world. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's never an episode where I'm just like, oh, let me put on Bastille Day because this one's the bomb. But I do love uh, sort of the way that it fits into the overall series. And also, I mean, hey, can you imagine being Richard Hatch and being like, oh, look at this. They're totally, you know, sort of uh, trying to, to buy me off with this role. And, oh, maybe this is the best role I've ever had in my life, you know, and, and this is becoming a recurring, you know, uh, role, which is going to last for like the next four years and going to be awesome it's, it's just kind of cool the way i think yeah out. i think that the whole the whole scenario is kind of oddly great for everyone like mm -hmm. i mean like i this isn't like an episode that i pop on to watch but season one it's sort of like when i watch the show like i'm excited about the next episode mm -hmm. at like every one and yeah. like when i start up this episode i'm like yeah this is gonna be great and i still think it's it is weird how good Richard Hatch is. Yeah, he's really like, good. I mean, like as a person, it's hard to imagine like joining a bunch of people who are essentially like overwriting something that was important to you, and just making it so much better for them and yourself, and being part of it. It's, I mean, he's he's a good man. You know, he, he's a he's a big guy. He he doesn't have like a, an ego problem. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's impressive. Yep, it is. All right. So that was Bastille Day for you. We're glad that we could fill in on this show that we've been doing a lot more on, definitely. You know, we appreciate people like Steve and Xander and uh, picking up the slack. And, and of course, Colin, who's, you know, um, essentially become, I think, like our showrunner. And um, he's Adama. Yeah, he's Adama. I think I'm I think I'm Boomer. <laughs> Which one? The one that that, um, that, that shoots Adama. OK, all right. That's cool. so just watch so you out. know, Colin. Yeah, watch out, Colin. <laughs> all right. Then who am I? I guess I'm boxy. Right. Well, I mean, I showed I mean, up for like two episodes and then I went away with without any explanation. Is that how it's going to work? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. I think you should go for Gata. I like Gata. He's cool. You should work. Out, you should try to be Gata. Okay, cool. Uh, if you are looking for more of us, since we're never here, you can find us over on CommentaryTrackStars.com, where we do commentary track stars off topic with our friend Brandon, who hopefully we can get over here to talk about some stuff uh, in the not-too-distant future. And you can also find us on Trek.fm, where we do commentary Trek stars. And I also do Standard Orbit with Drew, who maybe we can get back over here to do some stuff uh, in the not-too-distant future. We shall see. So that's it for uh, this week. And next week, someone will be back to talk about some more BSG. In the meantime... Uh, what was our sign-off going to be? End of line? Oh, yeah. So, so say we all. <laughs> <laughs>